I was telling my mom about all the stuff that happened on Sunday, and she was asking some of my story that's happened since I left home after high school and so on, and she told me a story that I had either never heard or had forgotten or whatever, and I asked her to share it with you, and she said, well, I haven't spoken in front of a group since high school, but uh, this is my mom, Marilyn Coaston, all the way from Missouri, and she has a... Well, I just wanted to give you a little bit of my background. I was raised in a very conservative church, and we had a lot of rules and regulations and a lot of do's and a lot of don'ts. More don'ts than do's. Yes, 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 a lot more don'ts, yes, thank you. I heard a lot of sermons about God, I heard a lot of sermons about Jesus, and I heard lots of sermons about water baptism, but I never heard anything about the Holy Spirit. I don't remember ever hearing about the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure if I did, it was, you know, when they preached on Acts 2 or something, but it was said that it was only for that time, and, you know, those times had passed, and it was only for the purpose of, you know, of spreading the gospel at that time. Anyway, I had a very negative opinion of the Pentecostal movement or the charismatic movement, and uh, it even scared me. But late in the 90s, I was part of a women's Bible study, and uh, we had women from all faith and in this Bible study. One of the gals was from the Assembly of God Church, and she was spirit-filled and spoke in tongues, and she was really a neat lady, and we were all impressed with her. And so after a Bible study uh, one evening, uh, she said that she would pray, and at this time I was very interested in more of the Spirit in my life. So she said she would pray over us, and so she went around the table and and prayed for, laid hands on us and, and prayed for us in tongues and prayed for us to receive the gift of the baptism of the Spirit. Well, when she came to me, uh, I was a little nervous, (laughs) but she told me, she she just laid her hands on me, and she said, you've already received the baptism. She said, you've got it. And so I was shocked myself, you know, because I thought I had never had any manifestation that I normally thought of as being part of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so anyway, I started thinking back on my life when this maybe possibly happened, And my husband and I, Marty, were married in uh, 73. And in that fall, so I was 22 at the time, but that fall, very suddenly, just like it was just like an onset, I became very, very depressed. And I had never been depressed in my life. I have never been depressed since, but I mean, it was severe depression. And I also felt oppression, which I had never, ever felt in my life. And I was fearful, very fearful. I was crying all the time. I couldn't stand to be alone. Uh, One morning I was on my way to work, and uh, it was dark. And there was this bright light behind me, a very bright single light behind me, and it was following me. And it terrified me, but I told myself, well, it's a combine. It was fall time, you know, and harvest time. And so I thought, well, it's just a... I told myself it was just a combine, but it was very, very scary for me. But then I looked back again, and the light was gone. And there was, I had a, uh, was very blessed to have an older lady at, that, at work that would uh, take me into the bathroom while I was crying at work all day and, and pray with me and, and uh, comfort me. And, uh, sorry. <laughs> anyway, but anyway, when I would return home, I was too afraid to go into the house so I would go find my husband in the combine in my dress clothes, and I would get in the combine with him and ride until he was ready to come home. 
also I was giving piano lessons at the time, and uh, I didn't have a piano, so I was going to the students' homes, and I remember one night specifically when I was on my way home, and uh, it was dark, and it just felt like there was this very evil presence that was trying to get into the car with me, and I was, again, I was just very terrified. So anyway, when I was home, I would ask my husband to read the Bible to me. That was the only thing that seemed to give me comfort. So uh, he would read the Bible while I was cooking and ironing and doing my chores. But this continued uh, for two weeks. Thank God it was only two weeks. But anyway, one night, uh, I guess I finally had enough, and I went into my bedroom and fell on my bed, and I, I just cried out to the Lord and poured out my heart to him. And uh, as I was doing that, I sensed that I was having an out-of-body experience. I just no longer was on that bed. I was before the throne. It was an amazing experience, um, very exhilarating. And, I mean, it was just, I, I can't put into words what it was like. But it also scared me because I was afraid. I felt, I seriously had the thought, I'm going to speak in tongues. And so... <laughs> So I forced myself out of it because I had such a, you know, I'd been taught such negative things about that. So I forced myself out of it. Uh, but I got up from that bed, and the depression and the oppression were completely gone. I mean, I just completely. And instead, I had this just amazing, I mean, this deep, deep love for God, just very deep love for God and for his word. I could not get enough of his word wanted to be in the Word all the time and reading it all the time. Uh, and it just completely changed my life. Say my husband had a different wife. He, I mean, we'd only been married a few months, but it, it just really changed me. Before I was just a church Christian, you know, then I knew God. It was really neat. It sent me on a, a search for the Holy Spirit in my life. I read every book and listened to every sermon and everything I could get my hands on uh, about the Holy Spirit because I knew that I needed that power in my life. And uh, many times I would try to speak in tongues, but it always just seemed so unnatural to me. It just didn't seem real. It just didn't seem like it was, it just seemed it was from me instead of from God. And so, so I kind of quit. But Mitch is, and I, to be honest, to this day, I still haven't. Mitch is sharing with me that I need to just go ahead and speak and, and by faith accept that God is filling my words with his spirit. And so he's encouraging me in this, in my walk and in my search, which is good. But uh, I told him, I, it's not that I just want the experience. It's not, I'm not looking for just so that I can say, hey, I'm speaking in tongues. I just want to know God more and to love him more. And if that's what, has, if that's, you know, what God has for me, that's what I want. So... Uh, just pray for me that I'll just push beyond my fears and, and uh, barriers and things that I've had in my past and that I'll just experience all that, that God has for me. Thank you. Amen. God is good. We've been on this journey of uh, seeking the Holy Spirit now for a while, most of a couple months, and I've been talking to you about a spiritual Christianity. And uh, The first Sunday when we started this, I told you of a, a blog post that I read years ago of a, 
he was a Western man, but he'd been to India to study yoga. And he was an actual Hindu practicing yogi, which means somebody who is a yoga master. And he was ranting in his blog post about how stupid Americans have turned yoga into physical fitness and you can go to the gym to do yoga. And his, his point was that yoga has nothing to do with personal fitness. It has everything to do with getting spiritually aligned. And, of course, I'm not promoting any of that. I don't think a born-again Christian should have anything to do with yoga, at least not the real thing. Maybe you can do the brainless exercise, but the stuff that the, stu- that the real Hindu yoga is, is a spiritual exercise. It is nothing to do with personal fitness. And he was, had this essay that he'd written up that was just a rant of hateful how America consumerizes everything. And we figure out how we can make money with it and sell it. And to sell it, you have to turn it into this is how you can benefit. And my point was, six or eight weeks ago, is that's what we've done with Christianity too. We have consumerized it so that we can sell it to people. And to sell it, we have to say, this is how you can benefit from Jesus. And Christianity has become something of a personal fitness thing where you can live your best life now and you can improve and you can feel better. It's supposed to be a spiritual exercise. We're supposed to be here to be in contact with the Holy Spirit of God, to let Him become one with us and we become one with Him. So I'm not interested in being your personal fitness trainer, your success coach, your cheerleader, or your yoga teacher. I'm, I'm here to shepherd you into the presence of God so that you can know His Spirit, to know and obey His Word, to live a life of faith and communion and holiness. So whether last week was a refresher or a first-time experience, or maybe it's the first time you've even seen things like that, uh, we are just beginning to move into the Holy of Holies. And so we are intentionally seeking to know the Holy Spirit, because He is God. Thank you, Shirley. The Holy Spirit is God. He's not something from God. He is God. All right? The Holy Spirit is not anything to be scared of. If you love God, because He is God. He lives inside of us. It's He who makes us holy by His presence in our heart and body. What I want to say this morning is that as we seek the Holy Spirit, that some specific manifestation of the Holy Spirit is not our goal. Personal fulfillment is not our goal. Knowing God and becoming His likeness is our goal. That's our goal, is to know God and become like Him. And the motivation for that goal has to be love. Love is our motivation. To love for Him and love for the people around us. Jesus said the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor like yourself. So knowing God is our goal and the motivation for that goal is love for Him and love for other people. If love is our motivation, then everything that He does and everything that He gives us becomes a tool for loving him and loving other people instead of an idol that we're living to acquire. Let me say that again. The things that he gives us and the things that he does for us have to be our tools, not our idols. And the, the, the thing that is going to differentiate that is whether our motivation is love or whether our motivation is, 
I want that thing. I want that power. I want to see a miracle. I want to experience this, or I want to be known as the guy who can do the miracles, or then we've turned it into an idol. I want to be thrilled when I come to church, or that's the wrong goal and the wrong motivation. Knowing God and becoming his likeness is the goal. Love is the motivation for that goal, to love him and to love the people around us. And then whatever he does and whatever he gives us are gifts and tools instead of idols. All right? We're not seeking tongues for the sake of tongues. We're not seeking miracles and signs for their own sake. We're not seeking angel visits or exciting excitement or goosebumps or laughter. We're not even seeking a thrilling church meeting for the sake of being excited to come to church. I want all of those things. I want every one of those things for myself and for you and for us together. But they aren't the goal. It's not the purpose of our Christianity. Our purpose is to seek God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the goal. We're seeking truth and faith and obedience and repentance. All right? I'm not saying this because anybody has done anything wrong. I've just seen other congregations go sideways a little bit because the manifestations and the miracles and the revival became the goal rather than God is the goal. Okay, so nobody's being corrected. Nobody has done anything wrong. I just want to build the fence before we cross the line. Hello? Okay, so we're not seeking tongues. We're not seeking miracles and signs. We're not seeking angel visits, excitement, thrilling meetings. uh, But we want all those things. Because they're real, and they're from God. But if we make them the goal, then they become an idol. Jesus Christ is the goal. And, and knowing his spirit. But when we know his spirit, all that stuff's going to happen. Because it is the sign and it is the fruit of the presence of his spirit. So they should be happening. But maybe not every day, maybe not every Sunday, and he gets to pick what happens, not us. As I have said before, some Sundays will be thrilling, others are average Sunday. Sometimes the Holy Spirit comes in energy and excitement. Other times he comes in peace and rest. Sometimes he wants to do really strange, amazing things. And other times he just wants you to obey in your daily life. (laughs) As Larry Stock still says, if you want to know what the Holy Spirit is saying, start with obeying what he tells you not to do. Everybody wants to know, God, what do you want me to do? I want you to obey the book. (laughs) That's what I want you to do. It's all, it's a whole package. It's all of it together. But so we are going to go after tongues and miracles and spiritual interaction, but not because it's the goal. It's because we want to know God. And the Holy Spirit is God. Seeking the Holy Spirit is not seeking something from God. He is God. We're seeking truth and faith and obedience, but we're not uh, seeking miracles for the sake of miracles. You know, it was only the Pharisees that asked Jesus to do a miracle just because they wanted to see something. They asked on more than one occasion, show us a sign, because they wanted a show, or they wanted something to analyze. If you want, I'd like to be in the room when a real miracle happened, so that I can think about it. I need to, I want to figure it out. That's the Pharisees, folks. Come on, there's a whole bunch of you like that. I'd really like to see a real one so that I can figure it out. Uh Uh-uh, no, we just going to seek God. It's the Pharisees that asked to see a miracle. It was Simon that wanted the Holy Spirit power for selfish reasons. I want to be able to 
heal people. I want to be able to cast out demons. I want to be able to do miracles. And Peter cursed him. I do want to be able to cast out demons and heal people because I love them and I want them set free from what's messing up their life. That is the motivation of love. And that's what I want your motivation to be. We, I want miracles to be normal around here. But because we love the people of Union County and we want them set free from their sicknesses and bondages and demons. Not because we can, so we can brag at other churches or say that ours is the most exciting or the most alive. No, this is where life and freedom are. That's what I want. The goal is to know God. The motivation is love and not anything else. Otherwise, it becomes an idol. The Pharisees asked to see a miracle just to see one. Other people came and asked Jesus for very specific miracles because it was what they desperately needed. Jesus, I need you to raise my son from the dead. Please heal me. I'm dying. That's not wrong at all to ask Jesus for what we need specifically. I hope you hear the difference. It is never, ever wrong to ask Jesus for what we need. It's not selfish. It's not selfish. It's actually your pride that's holding you back from asking Jesus for help. Well, I don't want to bother Jesus. Come on. Well, I don't want to go forward for prayer. There's a whole bunch of other people up there. That's what we're here for. It's your own pride. Step up. Come on. But if miracles and healings and tongues and fire become the goal, then we've idolized them. Jesus is the only goal. So we just sang, Jesus, you be my vision. That's got to be the vision is Jesus Christ being lifted up, him being made famous. That's all we want. God is the goal. Love is the motivation. Love is why we do what we do. Faith and obedience are the operation. Humility and surrender are the heart attitude. Then fire and healings and miracles and tongues and boldness and hilarious joy become the tools that we use to love our neighbors with instead of the idols we live to acquire. Should I read that again? Okay. I wrote this. I'm not quoting anybody else. It's from my heart. I just need to read it to get it right. Fire and healings and miracles and tongues and boldness and hilarious joy become the tools that we use to love our neighbors with instead of the idols that we live to acquire. All right. Y'all are awesome. I knew you'd be all in on this. I did. I did. I was serious. I'm not correcting anything. I I just need to set the boundary before we cross it. When love is the motivation for what we do, and going after the things of the Holy Spirit, I mean, when love is the motivation, then there's no longer any reason for pride, and there won't be people showing off like in the Corinthian church where Paul had to rebuke them with at least four different letters. We only have two of them, but he mentions two others. Four times he had to write them, because church became a show-off contest on who could speak in tongues the most, or who could pray the loudest, or who could be the most spiritual. But if love is our motivation, then there's no reason for pride. Right? We're not here to show off. We're here to do things in secret. Right? Yeah, Jesus said when you fast and pray in secret, you're praying for other people in secret. Not that miracles can't be public, but it's not supposed to be a TV show. There, is, there won't be any need for show off. When love is the motivation, there's no need for fear of these things either. And I know that like my mom and me, a bunch of you were raised in different backgrounds or you're scared of the things that look wild and out of control. And there isn't any need for fear when love is the motivation because God, I know that God isn't going to do anything to me that will hurt me in any way. 
And I told you last week, if you weren't here last week, you can go online and listen to it. But I told you my story that I was very scared. And it was really just my pride. I didn't want to surrender to the point that I didn't want to fall down. That was my big deal. I, just, I didn't want to fall down. And I, I was scared of it. But over time and a lot of prayer and fasting and thinking and dying to myself, I realized I have no reason to be scared of God. He's a good father, and he loves me, and love is the motivation, then that fear melts away. And I don't have to be afraid of deception either. There's a whole bunch of people who've been told that tongues is from the devil, and if you, if you give into those things and, and you believe in prophecy, then you're going to get deceived. But when love is your motivation, you don't have to worry about being deceived. In fact, I taught you this numerous times over the last... 15 years, that love is the insurance against all deception. You will never be deceived when you are loving God and truly loving other people. Deception comes from pride and fear. So even the fear of being deceived is deception. The fear that, oh no, what if the devil tricks me, is a lack of faith in God. But Mitch, I've seen other people get really crazy and deceived. Yes, because they're selfish. The selling point of all deception from false prophets, the selling point in their audience's heart is their own selfishness. When you're truly, honestly, you will do anything for God and anything to love somebody else, you will not be deceived. You will see through any lie. Sometimes it might be hard to discern for a little bit, but the light will shine, and you'll see it. So we have no reason, when love is the motivation for chasing after the things of the Spirit, pride dies, fear melts away, and there's no reason for skepticism either, because the Bible says God is love, and Jesus said, I am truth, I am the way, the truth, and the life, God is love, I am truth, I and the Father are one. Love and truth are the same thing. Hello? When our motivation is love for God and love for the people around us, we will know the truth. And there isn't any reason for skepticism. You'll know what's fake or what people are putting on, and you'll know what's real. Whatever is true is loving and whatever is really loving is true because truth and love are one god is love and jesus is truth and the father and i are one so all i want is the love of god and all i want is what is true so there isn't any reason for skepticism i can receive anything that's really god because my motivation is love so i want to show you three scriptures first corinthians 13 1 to 2 Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Paul says we can speak in tongues like crazy. Maybe I'm using that word on purpose. We can, we can speak in tongues all day long, but if we don't have love, it's just noise. Where does the real spiritual life come from? Love. 
I meant everything I said the last two Sundays. I want us to pursue the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that will result in people speaking in tongues. It will result in healings. It will result in wild experiences. But there's nothing in it at all. It is completely empty shell if it isn't full of love. Love for us to God, love from us to our neighbor, love of God toward us. It's got to be full of love or it's completely empty. It's nothing. But when it's full of love, there is real power. Real power. Because Galatians 5, 5 to 6, in the message, the Bible says this, We expectantly wait for a satisfying relationship with the Spirit. But in Christ, neither our most conscientious religion or disregard of religion amounts to anything. What matters is faith expressed in love. We are confident that the Holy Spirit is with us, that He's alive, that He's active, that He moves and He speaks today. And we want to know Him and we want to obey Him and we want to follow His voice. We want to be a congregation filled with power, healings, and miracles. But if that isn't faith exercised in love, nothing matters. Faith expressed in love is what gives anything its power. And in 1 Timothy 1-5, to Paul says... The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. So Paul's writing that. Put those words in God's mouth because that's where they came from. God says, the purpose of me instructing you in anything, even the baptism of the Holy Spirit, miracles, tongues, the purpose of my instruction is that you will be filled with love, that you will have a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. That's what I want. Don't make anything else your goal. We may chase after some of that other stuff, but this is the goal, is to know God with a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. And that's the purpose of my instruction as well. That's anything that I talk about anywhere we go, anything that uh, we chase after, it's all about Jesus. If it's not, then it becomes an idol. But if Jesus is the goal, and knowing him and being like him, living in humility and surrender and obedience, then nothing else can become an idol. It's just a tool that we love other people with. Amen? Sometimes you will have very average everyday life, and the Holy Spirit is still there. Sometimes you will have very... Hard, difficult, painful everyday life. The Holy Spirit is still there. Sometimes you'll have very exciting, thrilling, wonderful provision. and The Holy Spirit is there. We're not looking for feelings or goosebumps. We're looking for God. To live in faith every day, whether the circumstances are good or bad. Whether the worship is exciting or boring. Whether the sermon hits you in the heart or whether you sleep through it. We're not looking for some exciting experience. We're looking for Him. Yes? And there is beauty in the search. There is meaning in the search. There is power in the desire that is not fulfilled. There is power in unfulfilled desire. Feelings, revival, goosebumps, exciting worship, exciting sermons will happen. But they can't be the goal. 
Otherwise, we get disappointed when it doesn't happen. We blame God for not moving, or you blame other people for, you blame the worship leader or the preacher or whatever for not producing it. Jesus is the goal. Whatever he wants to do, be okay with that desire. Lord, we love you, we bless you, we praise your holy name. Thank you for being a good husband to your church, for being a good shepherd to your sheep, for being a good king to your people. Thank you for the love and joy and grace and provision that is in your presence. Thank you for the testimony of your goodness. Lord Jesus, you truly are wonderful and beautiful. We love you with all of our heart. We want your Holy Spirit. We want your presence in our bodies, in our mouths, in our hands. We want to be real disciples of you who live in holiness and obedience, who live in truth, who live in power. We want all of those things, Lord. We want your life in our worship, in our meetings together. We want to be your peculiar people filled with joy that makes people think we're drunk because we are unrealistically happy. But Lord, we don't want any of that to become the goal. You are the goal. And however and whenever and wherever and whatever you want to give is what we want. Forgive us for being fearful or skeptical or judgmental. Lord, we surrender to your will to the move of your Holy Spirit. We'll take what you have to give. We give what we have. Thank you for receiving our offering. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for blessing us with your presence this morning. Thank you for the testimony of your goodness and your Holy Spirit power. I bless every person here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.